Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. I'm going to be talking to some incredible guests over the next few weeks, all of whom have made the decision to look at their relationship with alcohol and take steps towards a positive change. My guests are all at different points in their journey, but all have powerful and uplifting stories to share. And that's why I hope you find each episode a valuable source of inspiration and insight. My amazing sponsors for season two of One for the Road are Rock Sober, a brand established in 2017 and led by brothers Sean and Lee, who are both in recovery and on a shared mission to inspire and support recovering addicts worldwide. Injecting rock and roll into sobriety, Rock Sober offers merchandise and accessories to inspire and empower its community of sober badasses. Boys have recently launched a new range of alcohol-free beers which are taking the market by storm. Every beer purchased will help Rock Sober on their mission to support and inspire more people in recovery. Their message is clear, you don't need alcohol to have a good time. So let's all Rock Sober and remember the good times with Rock Sober AF Drink. My special guest today on One for the Road is an actress, a TV presenter, and she has just celebrated her sixth anniversary of sobriety. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to you the fabulous Lisa Riley. Welcome, Lisa. Welcome to Series 2 of One for the Road. I'm so grateful that you've uh, joined me today. How are you? I'm great. Yeah, thank you for asking me. It's wonderful. I love I loved podcasts. I'm a true podcast fan. So, uh, yeah, anything anything where we can kind of speak from the heart, I think it's really nice for the listeners to to listen in and, and associate with everything. Yeah, it's really important, actually. And uh, I saw you in the press recently that you're coming up to six years sober, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be uh, August, August this year will be six, six years. And you know what? It's it's truly flown by. And I can sit here with you now, with my hand on my heart, and I and I know this in myself. I don't truly believe I'll ever ever drink again. I don't. Uh, no, I yeah. agree with you there. Some people say you don't know that, but when I stopped as well, it, it was that decision where I thought, you know, this has got to be it for me forever. There's no second chance for me. Yeah. And I've never had a sip of alcohol since I gave up. And like what you just said, I feel the same. You know, this is a complete life change. And I feel so grateful for that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And do you do you sometimes feel like that it's other people analyzing you? Sometimes it's funny yeah. because um, especially in the beginning, I mean, I'm a six foot bloke that was the party animal that yes. um was always the one, get Dave out, get him out, because it's guaranteed to be a real night out and whatever. And yes. when I said I was going to stop, no one believed me. You yeah, know, me too. Out of the gang, and they were going, nah, you won't do it. And in a way, Lisa, it made me want to do it even more. Yeah, yeah. That was what it was like for me. It was, 
I knew for health reasons, I, I wanted to make change with my physique. And, and I knew that, you know, when people say empty calories, empty calories, like what, what really does that mean? Do you know what I mean? It just means you just drink far too much, basically. Um, and, and I was like, well, this is going to have to be part of it, you know, not necessarily giving up for good, just like kind of knocking it on the head and see if, if these empty calories do make sense in the world of weight loss. And oh my God, did they, you know, I think it was part and parcel of, of it initially. So what started off to be sort of a month and could I do it? And could I go to the next christening without, you know, toasting with champagne and feeling like the, the odd one out as it were, it seemed, it seemed so, so easy, so incredibly easy. And then before I knew it, a month became three months and three months became six and six became nine. And once you've done a year, like you're saying, when your friends were like, oh, it's Dave life and so the party. That's what I used to get because it was like, you know, oh, it's Lisa. We'll have great. There'll be a tray of shots. Brilliant. You know, the, the, the archer's peach will be coming out and you won't be able to see the tray. There'll be that many shots on it. And that was me. But what they slowly realized is I don't need drink to, to, to be me. You know, drink doesn't enforce my personality. It doesn't bring my personality on. I probably just sing more songs from Wicked when, when I'd <laughs> had more wine, you know. But yeah, it wasn't, it, drink didn't define me. And once that, once those cogs in your head make that realization that you plus alcohol makes fun, that's when you're on, I believe, the road of correction, the self-correction that I needed to do. And um, I also heard that you were drinking a bottle a night. I think I heard that on Loose Women and sometimes a bottle and a half. And I find with the clients that I work with that once you go from one to two, that is a really quick slippery slope. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. Is that where you thought you were going before you knocked it on the head? Well, I've, I've spoken openly both in the press and on, on Loose Women um, about this. And when I lost my beloved mum, I didn't think I'd be able to claw myself back from it. Um, initially, again, I've spoken about this. The doctor gave me Valium, of which I took for 14 days. And I can s- swear on my mum's ashes now. I remember discussions um, within those 14 days of being on the Valium where they were discussing mum's funeral and whether we would let mum wear her watch in the casket. And I was literally, Dave, sat there and my auntie Joyce, my dad, my uncle Jess and my uncle John were all in this conversation. And, you know, I wanted to speak and nothing would come out. And then I Googled Dr. Google, right? And of course, that is part and parcel. The Valium basically numbs you. It numbs the, the, the first stages of grief that you're going through. And I realized, no, never, ever for me and never, ever in my life prior had I ever taken an antidepressant. um, And I haven't since, apart from those 14 days when mum initially passed. But what I did realize, which then therefore became my trigger for the bottle, bottle and a half, was that Molbeck was a phenomenal number and I could still speak and I could still, you know, sit around the table with dad and it would help me sleep. That's what it was. It was, it was, I was going through, which I've now discussed, uh, discussed massively with grief counselors o- over the years of still uh, going through my grief and that will never, ever, ever end. It's, it's with me every minute of every day, but you go through this stage of why me? Why why have you taken my mum? Why is my mum gone? Why haven't you taken that low life from dirt to dirt, you know? And basically with that in mind, I realized that, you know, the the wine, cue what they say, took the edge off. It did. It truly, truly did. But it's when you think to yourself, right, I've got to go to a family event now and I don't want to be drinking that much. That's when I realized, you know, 
it doesn't have to be there all the time in your life. And I truly don't think I, I, you know, and I've spoken openly about this. I don't think that I would ever wear the badge and say, was I an alcoholic? I don't think, I truly don't think I was. I think I was very, very dependable on drink. And as some people might take an antidepressant, as it were, that was mine. It, it, it was my, my comfort blanket. And I will always say that. Yeah. Mm, I agree with you. I mean, it's emotional blunting, isn't it? And yeah. uh, recently I visited a place that I went on holiday with my family. I was about 12. And shortly after that, when I was 14, my mum left and uh, I didn't see her for a year. And um, that's really when I start to drink, you really? know, because I was grieving for my mum. And the, the trouble is when you're that age, your brain hasn't developed and you get into the wrong crowd, which I did. And it kind of defined me for the years ahead, you know. It really shaped me for being this insecure lad that mm. was accepted into the group as one of the boys. And being I'm the carried, jester. Yeah, being the jester. That, exactly yeah. that, a jester. And that went on. But what happened, Lisa, was when I was in my 30s, I started going to a local pub. And that changed everything because it became daily drinking for me. Right. And then there was an off-license over the road that I thought, Do you know what, I might just nip in there and get a couple of cans of cider or something yeah, just yeah. to have after with dinner, you know. Mm. And then it just escalated. And the, and the thing is, it, it's a highly addictive drug and it can take your whole life over, can't it? Oh, 100%. And like you just said then, it went from, you know, the gang to the off-license to the pub. It's the simplicity of how accessible it is. We've got the brilliant storyline in Emmerdale that people are really getting hooked onto at the moment with, you know, Liv's character, which my character's dealing with her as well, through alcoholism. And what's brilliant is you see online and people say, oh, why is it going on so long? Well, you can associate with this. I can surely associate this. You don't just stop drinking when you're de- when you drink dependent. You don't just stop overnight. And obviously Liv's character has gone through this turmoil where she's blaming herself for a scenario that's happened. And what's happened is the writers have done a great job because they are telling the true tale of an addict where mm. you can walk to that off license, get a large bottle of vodka and wipe yourself out for two days if you want. Mm. because you don't want to face reality. You don't want to face what's going on in the world. And that's what we're doing in the storyline. And I'm so proud, Dave Emmerdale, that not only are they tackling the story of alcoholism, they're doing it in a minor, you know, because as you've just said, when it starts at that young age, what age will it stop? You know, yeah. you'd like to think they'd get therapy. You'd like to think they'd get emotional help and support from fam- uh, family members and friends, but it's, always down to the individual and I think you can probably associate with me with this it's when you look in the mirror and you go I look a little bit crappy you know I don't look like myself and my own personal drive my own personal get up and go that people know me as you know everyone says to me you know I'm, I'm like a sunshine I gleam positivity that's me I'm, I'm, I'm not pretending to be something that I'm not and I've always been like that Of course, I have down days, but I keep that to myself. But what you realize, what you're saying is when you've got these groups, are you being invited to go out for you? Or are you being invited because you're the one that's going to be the last one standing? You're going to be paying for all the drink because you don't want to go home. And that's when it dawned on me. It was like, I remember thinking to myself, why does everybody come back to my house? Well, because there was a bar. 
right? There was an endless supply of drink. And, you know, if, if it slightly ran out one Sunday afternoon, you'd nip to the supermarket and you'd get more. And then I realized it was like, why am I always paying for all the drink? Why am I always paying for the clear up bill when I'm waking up and there's, you know, a bag of rice got popped because someone thought it was hilarious to get a bag of rice out the cupboard and pop it. Well, you do when you're leathered. It's like, it's, it's, when you wake up, you go, look at the state of my house. It looks like a squat, you know, my house that I care so much about. And then over time, it's like, it's always mine. It's always my house. And, you know, I, I pride myself on being a generous person. It's not that I didn't, I begrudged people because I didn't, but I wanted to keep the party going. And, and I drove that for many, many years. And the irony that when I spoke to my grief counselor, one of the things that, that he flagged up with me, whereas I obviously have an issue about it, is I blame that party time of where I was hung over the next day, where I wasn't, you know, myself as hours I could have gained when mum was alive. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, no? My mum passed three years ago and it, it was, she started to look unwell a couple of years before that, but there, there was unfinished healing that needed to be done, you know, and I was told that basically she was going to die. And, and in the last few days, I spent it with her and her husband. And uh, I told her I loved her, which was the first time in my life. Beautiful. And I was with her when she passed. And that was difficult for me. It was probably the best thing for her. Yeah. But I was drinking then. And I just went on an absolute bender after that. You numbed but, it. <laughs> yeah, I did numb it. And but it was not long after that, that I stopped. And I do feel... Um, that mum had a big part in that because I feel her with me every day. And I think she saw Same. me in the the state I was in and for whatever she did, yeah. I feel that she helped me on it. And she'll be with you today, Dave. I, I truly, truly believe that. And you'll, you'll get signs and you will know that because that's how I live my life because I need my mum with me. Even though it kills me that I can't pick up my phone and go, oh, do you know what, mom? I got nominated for an award today and how proud she would be. You know, the mom that took me through through drama school forever and supported my career from me being, you know, from nine years old. And here I am, 45 in July. I need that. I know that I need that. Just like people need a drink. They, they go, I need a drink. I need my mom. And I don't have her. I don't have her here. Mm. So now part of my um emotional sort of link moving forward without her I'm proud to say mum I can do this I you know I'm walking this path on my own with no antidepressant with no Molbeck you know no no gin and tonic in my hand I'm doing it the way I've got to deal with it the natural way and that's what I want to tell everybody that I think I don't you might you might not agree with me with this Dave but I think people fear themselves not being the party animal they, they, they're fearful of not being the life and soul, you know, the one that's sort of disco dancing, but then on the floor at the end of the night, they, they want, they want to be told that, well, I don't want to be that person anymore. I just want to be the person that never tells anyone they're leaving because that's the worst mistake in the world. If you tell people you're going, you get rugby tackled. The best thing is to go for a piddle. Don't come back and WhatsApp them at midnight and say, I'm safe and I'm home in bed. <laughs> yeah. Or the next morning they don't remember you leaving. Exactly. They don't remember it anyway. Yeah. Do you think that you've changed since you stopped drinking? Absolutely. What That is the biggest 
biggest part of my change. Yes, I lost all that weight and I'm so proud of it. And people can say it's a healthier lifestyle, but I've changed mentally. I'm not fearful of what people think of me. I don't care. I know I've got the biggest heart. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm there for everybody. People at work say, you know, you're always giving everyone advice and, you know, you're like a sunshine. Well, you don't really get better comments than that and compliments than that. Mm. But that's who I am. And I think before I wasn't a sunshine, I'd say I was a bit of a gray cloud because I wasn't happy in myself. And I was always so bothered about pleasing people. And now I don't, don't need to do that. It's, it's, it's when you have pure, pure, natural self-acceptance. And that's what I have. This is, this is who I am, who I'm going to be. And do you know what, Dave, as well? I've said many a time, I feel like my life is so quiet. And some might say, simple, might say boring. Do I care? No, my life is the way I want it to be. I go to work. I do my job to the best of my ability. I work very hard and creatively how, you know, I want to play scenes and, and I don't just like sort of turn up on set. I, I do a lot of work at home. I make notes on what I want to do and how I want the scene portrayed. Then you can work with the other actors and directors with a completely clear head. And then I come home. I love my television. I love my podcasts, you know, my radio and my family, my family of my world. My other half, Al, he's, you know, he's my rock. He still drinks. Some people go, how do you cope? How do you cope if Al's having a little? I'm like, because I do. It's like saying, well, I, I loathe aubergines. I'll still cook aubergines for Al, you know, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to eat them. Um, so yeah, I, I've, I've just embraced simplicity and I've realized so much, you know, another thing that goes with, with drinking and, you know, partying in London was, um, which is, is a really prominent thought that I have here now is like things like you've got to have the best designer clothes and you've got to have that best designer handbag. Do you, you don't have to have that, you know, just because of my, my job, it, it's absolute nonsense. And I see it now when you see these like kind of reality programs and all they want is the next Louis Vuitton luggage. It doesn't, doesn't make you as a person, doesn't, doesn't define you. It actually makes you go, why have you spent, you know, 1300 quid on a suitcase? That's it's ludicrous, you know? So all those things that, that I've realized. And, and I think I listen I like to listen more. And I think I wasn't, I think I was just, I was just a lot louder, you know, and I'm still loud now, you know, but I was, I was a fog on. I was, you know, you'd, you'd hear me, you know, if I was in Leeds, you'd hear me in Rochdale, <laughs> you know, it's true that, and, and I'm not that person anymore. And then I play a character, Mandy Dingle, of course, who's very, you know, she's very in your face. She's very confident. She, she's the, you know, the queen of the family. You don't mess with her, but, I kind of live vicariously now through Mandy Dingle, you know, and she, she gets leathered. She, Mandy Dingle obviously has every shot known to man. She nicks bottles from behind the bar. So I kind of, I can enjoy my old life via Mandy Dingle. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. But do you know what? I completely hear you about what you say about um, buying yourself things and that. I saved up to get a Rolex Batman, right, which was it was a fortune, right? So I bought uh, one watch, sold that, and I carried on, right? Because then I used to walk around it on my wrist thinking I was the dog's, how's your father's, you know? Yeah, why do we do that? Well, I think it's because you lack self-esteem, self-worth, yeah. all that inside of you, which is really important. And now I had it nicked, actually, in the end, which oh, was no. sod's law. But 
I now walk around in an Apple Watch. I've just taken it off because it started talking when we began this podcast. I don't know if you heard it. No. <laughs> it said, is this that woman from Emmerdale? No, it didn't. Ah. No, no. Um, no, no. I, I don't worry about things anymore. I, I, I am so much richer in myself of yeah. self-worth, confidence. And I get up in the morning and I actually think, do you know what? I'm proud of you, boy. Absolutely. You know, I, and I like myself where before... As you said earlier about looking in the mirror, I used to look in the mirror and think, you absolute asshole. What, yeah, what I can I can relate doing? to that fully. I can. And it's weird what you say about the Rolex. I call it like the pretty woman moment. You know where she's got all the bags? Yeah. I remember being in London and walking down Bond Street and I'd gone in every designer shop. And bear in mind, I was I was enormous back then, right? None of, none of the designer shops, clothes shops, anything fit me. So I would buy every handbag. I'd buy watches. I'd buy shoes. I'd buy scarves, all designer. Then I had that kind of moment of like, oh, look at me, look at me. And it means nothing. It's utter nothing nonsense but I actually go back there in my head going what on earth was I thinking why was that important and I think it goes hand in hand with being very young and being in the public eye from such such a young age having to mature and having to take ownership of the person you are and of course if I'd gone on Bond Street and walked out with nine, 10, 11 designer handbags, you know, and all these these bag, these shopping bags to have the pretty woman moment, what I'd then go do is go to a beautiful hotel and have loads of cocktails because it was like, it's kind of all went hand in hand of this, maybe as you might say, pretend life I was living, mm. where fundamentally I probably wasn't that happy back then. Mm. Yeah, makes, it makes total sense. You started Emmerdale, was it in 1995? Oh, well, I was 17 when I joined. 17. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, so young. Uh, and I, I mean, I've worked in TV. I was a handyman on 60 Minute Makeover for 10 years. Oh, lovely. Yeah. And in the last three, I worked with Peter Andre, and he actually doesn't drink no. at all. He's, he, I've never seen him drink. But part of TV was obviously going out and getting absolutely bladdered. So w- was it like that for you when you were in your teens? Yeah, fully. I mean, every function you went to. But isn't isn't that isn't that Dave a British thing you know why why when they think of British people do they think of us like in Tara Molinos with a pound and a pint but it's it's true oh the Brits are coming whereas the French kind of like nice and sip some posh Sancerre wine you know we're kind of we're spoken about as like hey let's get leathered well I was never that it was more fun I just always wanted to have fun and when you go into all these do's in London, award ceremonies, you know, you take three steps into the, the function room and there's a tray of champagne. So drink. And it just, it's something you don't even think about. You just take it, you drink it. And before you know, there's another guy coming with another tray and they've got another load of champagne. And then after that, you go to another hotel afterwards and then you're on the wine or you're on the, the G&Ts. And before you know it, it's three in the morning and, you, you know, you're passing out in, in the hotel bedroom. And that was part and parcel of it. Um, especially I remember like sort of when I was the, the time when I was filming You've Been Framed over those five years, we mostly filmed three or four episodes per day. So, of course, by the end of it, I was I was absolutely drained. You know, we had a live audience. You've got to keep them in, entertained throughout the show. So I was giving, giving, giving for hours. So it's that old chestnut, isn't it? Like, oh, come on, let's go across the road to the hotel and we'll have a bottle of wine. We'll wind down. Where does that sentence come from? Yeah. Why Why can it not be, let's all be our really great friends together who we love as a crew, like you will have had with your crew. Let's go over and just chat. But 
it seems weird that if you were the one who said, okay, I'm just going to order a mint tea, that you're the alien in the room. You're not the alien in the room at all. It's completely normal, but that's how everything's perceived. Let's go over and get in a bottle of wine and wind down. And again, that's what it is. So my argument then is, well, do you want me to take a sleeping tablet? Because I'm doing it to wind down and to go to sleep. No, my body, I am so tired, I will sleep. That's it. And it's when it's when your cogs tell you that and that message finally lands. It's true. It's absolutely true. And and when you do become sober, you have to find things because you've got more time on your hand for a start. And When I say more time, when you're drinking, you think about it all day anyway, because when you wake up in the morning, you're thinking about how much you drank the night before. Did you text someone? Did you call out with someone? My wife, in the end, used to email me because (laughs) if ever it was a WhatsApp and I saw it, it would start an argument again. So she would email me a list of what I'd said. And when I read it, I was like, I can't believe what was that Yeah, yeah, I know. But don't you feel like looking back that it's it's a bit like me playing a part as an actor. It's kind of you put on like your superhero costume because while you're plastered, it's like, oh, well, it doesn't matter because you're in superhero mode. Mm. And, oh, did I offend something, somebody? Did I say something that I shouldn't have? And that's where we get the line Dutch courage. You know, mm. what, what, what the hell is it? It drives me mad that. Oh, well, she needs, du- what? It drives me crackers. What is Dutch courage? What is it? It's nonsense. You don't need it. No, and sometimes when you step outside your comfort zone, it's growth. I did a talk in a pub in Forest Hill, right? And I was six weeks sober. Wow. And when I got there, I walked up and there was the Peroni on tap, which was my favourite, right? And it was packed. And I've never done any public speaking. I could be on the telly on the show and it wouldn't matter because it's recorded. But public speaking and there was a full crowd there and there were six of us getting up and I was uh, second to last. (laughs) And I was so nervous. Oh, my God. I was sitting there twiddling my thumbs and... And uh, the bar was, you know, the barman was pouring the beers and everyone was getting sozzled and that. But when I got up there, actually, and I said what I had to say, I got a standing ovation at the end. And that was like, oh, my God, this is a fantastic feeling. There's your natural high. That's your natural high. And and then I realised after that, that, you know, there's so much more to life. And then my wife always said, there's so much more to you, Dave, than who you are. And she's right. I mean, I'm I'm two and a half years sober, but I I have achieved so much in that two and a half years. And I'm knocking on a bit now. I'm not I'm not a spring chick like you know, but uh, you know, I I've I mean, this is a second series of podcasts. I'm ambassador for Alcohol Change UK. You know, yes. I I do a lot in the sober community. I'm a coach and all that wouldn't have been achieved if I was still drinking. You live such a shallow life, don't yeah. you? But look, look what you're saying, right? You're doing all these talks and you go into these gatherings together, right? Would I be right in saying, Dave, that you're learning more in your sober life than you ever learned in your life prior? Oh, absolutely. I there we are. Yeah, I don't even remember my 40s because that is when I'm, I lived on my own, Lisa, and I've become a solitary drinker. So you talk about emotional blunting. I was drinking a litre of vodka a night. Wow. I, I was literally pouring a glass and that would be vodka and a tiny bit of tonic and downing it in one just to get completely out of it quickly. So that would just, it would be turn off my voice in my head, you know. Wow. Uh, and then I used to put Pink Floyd 
tracks on and lay there feeling sorry for myself, crying. But I, I kind of enjoyed it. I was in victim mode, you know. Mm, and then yeah. in the morning, I would say to people, oh, my God, I've had such a bad night's sleep and I'm just getting over flu. Mm. I wish they'd have said to me, actually, Dave, you just stink of booze and you're yeah. hungover, sort your life out. Oh, my God, you've nailed it. Okay, you have nailed this. Okay, so... Part and parcel of my drinking, I then gave up the smoking as well. Now, this, this is the the smell, okay? That's one of the things that will never make me drink again. Because I'm like, Jesus, did I smell like that? Like, I'd never say it to anybody. But, you know, if anybody at work came in, and obviously pre-COVID when we could get a lot closer, right, I could tell you, like, instantly, and that in itself, like I call it odor pong. Odor pong is the best deterrent from drinking in the world because you it's like um it's like a really dry smell, isn't it? And only when you don't drink can you smell it. So it obviously alerts your senses. And that in itself makes me literally wear the t-shirt of no thanks, not for me. Yeah. I don't it's I don't want to smell it. it? it yeah. It's I can it's, smell it a mile off as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's 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 also different variations of eau de pong with what they've drank the night before. <laughs> it, it absolutely is. And it yeah. comes through your pores. It's just not your breath. No. And I remember my wife was doing a, a talk with Jamie Oliver at this CIUK headquarters, right? Yeah. And um, she said, please don't drink too much tonight. Before I was in the front row next to the CEO of CIUK, right? Oh, I've said that live, haven't I? And uh, <laughs> here, come on. Yeah, I thought you stank. Um, and uh, I said, I'll be up in a minute, and I'd already drank a bottle of wine, right? Wow. In that 10 minutes, I downed another bottle. Why? I have no idea. Wow. I got in the car in the morning in the Uber, and he wound his window down straight away, and I thought, oh, my God. That's He's you. obviously got – and I was literally hanging throughout the whole morning, and Jamie was there, um, a few people, you know, faces and whatever. And all I was thinking about, I wasn't enjoying the moment. I wasn't enjoying my wife's speech up on the stage in front of mm-hmm. 500 people. I was actually in this this pit of doom yeah, yeah, yeah. where I was so... And that was the other thing, Lisa. I never, ever said I ever had a hangover, but I realise now that I my You're whole topping life up. was a hangover. Yeah, yeah, and if you ever felt that, that initial grog... It was, you know, oh, and then you go, oh, I don't do lunchtime drinking. Yes, you do. You're at, look at look at your watch, look at your clock on the wall. It's yeah. one o'clock. You're having a big glass of wine, aren't you? And can I ask you another thing? Did you blame people when you were in? You got flashbacks that time. Would you say the blame game? Because this this has been flagged up to me. So many people um, who who I've spoken to who now are sober who do not drink, they realize that they tossed the blame game and toss the blame game to the ones they love the most. So for you, it would be your wife. So it's always somebody else's fault rather than taking ownership that it's like, no, you're drinking morning, noon and night and you're using it as a sleeping agent. Would, would you agree with me on that one? Yeah, I, I do. And, and I think that's the frustration that we feel with ourselves, you know, and you always take it out on the closest ones, you know. Yeah. And, and I used to say, you know, if it wasn't for the kids, if it wasn't for this. But, you know, I quite often say that you find any excuse to have a drink because you can have a good day, a bad day. Actually, nothing's happened today. Let's have yeah. a drink anyway. Oh, look, the sun's come out. Should we go in the garden yeah. and have a drink? Yeah. But that again, that goes back to what I was saying about the British mentality. Yeah. Do you know what, Lisa? I, I I rode my bike last year to Paris. Right, we we did a charity thing. Wonderful. Yeah, uh, it was for child slavery um, charity, IPHM, I think. 
And we got to Paris and I always had this perception that the French loved their wine and mm. But we were in this big square and I was sober, obviously. So I was one of the only ones drinking Perrier. Yeah. yeah. And uh, like everyone was having beers and that. And when I looked around, actually, all age groups of the French people, it was a Saturday night in this beautiful square near Paris. I could hardly see anyone drinking. Really? It was incredible for me. Wow. Like, you know, it's, it is the British, isn't it? The, yeah, the, the, yeah. British have got I, I went down uh, I live near Battersea right and I went they've made the high street bit there pedestrianized at the weekend yes. and I was down there at half past 10 the other morning and it was heaving with people drinking yeah. half 10 on a Saturday morning no I can relate to that fully like we were in me and Al went to Krakow like it's been one of my places that I want you know I love traveling travel's a really big part of who I am and again, you know, it's not for everybody, you know, architecture and culture. I get that. That's fine. We love it. It's very us. But again, like you said, in the main square, beautiful horses. I'm looking around that you've never seen such beauty like in Krakow. And then you look around this square and in each pod, there's just a clump in football shirts. Yeah. And it's they've gone there, not with not an a morsel of information of where they're going they're going because it's that stag culture it's that let's get leathered and we've only spent 10 quid and we know full well for 10 quid we're going to be absolutely blottoed that's what they're going for and then you see on these airplanes like the way they speak to to, to air cabin crews mm. it, it makes my nerves bad and that was one of the topics and I, maybe Denise might talk, uh, spoke to you about this but this is the thing that I keep getting asked over and over again should alcohol be banned on airplane travel and I do I do think you know it's it's worth thinking about now people might say well you know it's for people who are who are really nervous about flying and well then you know you can go to the doctor and you can get a relaxant for that you don't need to therefore you know like you said down a bottle of vodka and become a yob on this very small form of transport offend people passengers around you are hearing all sorts of things that they might be nervous as well there's so many elements of life where I feel drink destroys a lot of elements and that's one of them. Um, but just touching back on the blame game, I've got a family member, they won't mind me saying this because um, I've spoken to, uh, to him at length about this, about him being so drink dependent. It's unbelievable. First of all, the denial, that's number one. Non-acceptance, number two. And going back to what I said, the blame thing. Blaming everybody in his household that it's their fault mm. he he's not happy about the relationship he doesn't he's questioning whether he wants to be with her and and all sorts of things like that no take ownership the the problem lies with you the problem lies with the fact that you consume exactly what you were saying Dave that volume of drink daily the fact that the children don't know what time their dad's going to fall through the door or what mood they're going to be in or basically how mean he's going to be he's going to come in that door and he's going to be so leathered he's going to have a sting in his tail and say some really unforgivable things and wake up and go oh do you know what I was drunk I can remember I can remember what you said yeah. you know for those children yeah. And it's 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 all those elements. And me and you sit here today and go, well, for me, certainly you're a little bit less than me, but it's a distant memory. It's it's something that, you know, it's it's what they say. It's it's toxic. It can be. It can be toxic. It is toxic. 
I mean, I, I did a post today on Instagram talking about um, relationships, a toxic relationship. It's like being in a toxic relationship. Yeah. And you're scared to leave it because you don't know what life's like without that thing in your life, you know. And yeah. when you stop and you're, you've got to deal with your emotions on your own and you don't know what's hitting you, you know, it, it's so, so difficult. And that's why you know, the one day at a time thing's really good. And I never encourage people to go, do you know what, just give it up forever because that can be too daunting at times. And like yourself, you went one month, two months, yeah. three months, and before you know it, you've chipped up six, nine months. Mm. And all of a sudden you feel, do you know what, I've had a, a sober birthday. By the way, you're the same as me, cancerian, good girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and a sober holiday. I mean, my first sober holiday, I was up every morning at six. Um, it was amazing. We we won this holiday on the Lorraine show. She she sprung it on us right at the end. And it was a villa out in Crete in the in the mountain. Oh it was lush. Beautiful, right? And we had an infinity pool. But normally I get you. Oh well, you know. And, um I I was never one for getting up late with a hangover or anything. I would still get up early, but I'd be literally sitting there like crumped over. I got up every morning, got in the infinity pool when no one was awake, and I watched the sun come up every single morning. And it was the most beautiful experience, you know, in the mountain of Crete. Yeah. And I was fresh all day. And when I came back, I felt relaxed. And that's yeah. the first time in my life I've ever come back off a holiday feeling refreshed. Absolutely. No, I can relate to that fully. Like me and Al, like one of my favorite times, like when we've been all over the world, but when I, my first holiday, when I was truly, truly sober, we rented the bicycles, we were up, we had breakfast, you know, seven in the morning, we were up, we rode Dave till 3 p.m. 3 p.m. Just literally, we had no plan. We just kept driving the bicycles. What we saw, the volume of photographs. Now, I'm going to go back to like when I was 29, 28. You went on holiday. You didn't wake up, physically wake up, right, till half 10, 11. You woke up, it's like, oh, my God, the heat instantly hit you, the humidity, right? Rather than go and have a Sprite, you'd be like, oh, should we go to find the, like, go on, you know, with a strip or whatever, go and find a bar. You're having the first drink at one o'clock. You go back, have your shower, get all dolled up, and you're going out for your meal, more drink, more shots, and that was it. And I look back and and I look at photographs and it cringes me, truly, because what I've learned, the biggest self-lesson for myself is the beauty of the world, the phenomenal wonder of our world and how you never have that by doing what I call the holiday hamster wheel, which yeah. is the holiday hamster wheel is just wake up, eat, drink, eat, drink, party. Well, that's it. Yeah. And if that's your idea of a holiday, it ain't mine. You know, now I want to come back and discover. And even now I, I can sit and look at all my holiday pictures where we've been so blessed to be and discover and the pride Dave that I feel it, it, it's it's off you talk you talk about endorphins it's yeah. off the scale it's off the scale because that's the person that I'm supposed to be I've hidden behind that Molbeck for so many years and I'm not gonna sit here with you now and go oh it's all self-loathing I've got over it I've forgiven myself I forget I've gone it's part of who I had to be to get to where I am talking to you this afternoon you know yeah my god it's like me talking honestly what you've just said it's um I, I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be 
yeah you know in my life this is what I'm meant to be doing and um I was asked the other day to do a talk in a college in front of a load of 16 to 18 year olds right and I was like oh my god <laughs> good god standing there and they're going to be throwing cabbages at me and whatever but I thought you know what I'm going to do it because if it helps one person reevaluate their relationship with alcohol it's worth trekking over there to do it you know Absolutely, of course uh, it is. This is uh, why I make this podcast, why I do the things I do, because I want to turn my experience and knowledge into support for others that are struggling right now. Yeah, absolutely. And also, what the one point I want to get across today more than anything is it's not a case of going, oh, am I an alcoholic? Because you might not be an alcoholic and you're probably not an alcoholic and you don't want to wear that badge. I get that. But what you have to see and notice about your personal self is why, why the volume? Why do you associate the word weekend with being that person, with putting that cardigan on? It's it's like going, right, it's Friday and Saturday. I am always going to wear that orange cardigan. Do you know what? Wear a pink one. Mm. And that's how I feel. You know, I never, ever want to wear that orange one because that's the person I don't, I, do you know what? I don't particularly like her. I don't like that person. No, I, I hear you. And and it's interesting what you said about your lovely mum earlier, where where you say you will never get over that. You've got, no. to, you, you've got to learn to live with it like my yeah. mum. You know, when, whenever I go and see John, her husband, there's a lovely little memorial garden by by her front door, basically. It's uh-huh. beautiful, right? And whenever I go down there, I take five minutes and I talk to her and I tell her what I've been doing, but she knows anyway. When you stop drinking... It, it's not like you've kicked it out of your life and it's gone forever. You've got to live alongside that now as well, because it's always there looming in the background. And if you're vulnerable, if you're not living a positive life, if you're feeling slightly like you're a bit of a victim and you've got the FOMO of why can't I drink like normal people? And uh, it will, its ears will prick up and it go, mm. hello, I'm mm. in here. You might mm-hmm. be six months sober, you might Stretching. be 20 years sober. Mm. And you've got to learn to live with it like, grief that you have got to always be mindful that it's there ready to pounce and that's how I live my life do you 100% it's like you go you know uh you go to a restaurant you sit down you book your table first thing the basket of bread sorry I don't want any bread I'm fine thank you and they look at you no I'm fine I don't eat bread okay oh okay that's the first thing next thing wine list no I don't drink and I'm like going am I am I a ball lake am I am I driving him crackers but then I have to go this is my life I want to lead. I don't want bread and I don't want a wine list. And, and I'm okay. Tap water or, or bottled water. No, I'm just taps. Absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. Thanks. And you can see them. And suddenly they, I'm giving them rage. And it's like, and then I go, I'm really sorry. And then I, I'm, I go to the person I'm sat with and I go, why on earth am I saying sorry? Because I've just asked for no bread, no wine list and tap water. Yeah. I have done nothing wrong but for some reason that's three elements before I haven't even chosen you know what I'm having for my starter you know that I'm apologizing for being this better me and and being a better me I'm still apologizing for it it's crazy it's nuts it's and 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 I and I'm sure that people listening will listen to this and go oh my god I'm about that you know the three things before you've even ordered and it's a life that I want to still continue love living but I've got to stop apologizing like we had 
it was uh, Jakey, my, my, my eldest nephew, it was his Holy Communion last Sunday. And of course, all my sister-in-law's family were there, my dad, my brother, all our family were there, beautiful picnic in the garden after the, you know, after the ceremony. And we're all there. And, and it, it's this tone. Why, why do people do this tone? You probably hear it. Oh, oh you, no, no. Oh, she doesn't drink. Yeah, why, yeah. why Why? can't you just look at how we're talking now? Why can't you say, oh, Lise don't drink. Oh, Dave don't drink. Just just to say it. Why does it need a certain, like this undertone of irony? Like, oh, because they're, own, they're not owning it within themselves. So it becomes a thing. And, yeah. oh, she'll be fresh as a daisy tomorrow, passes the rosé. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And, uh, you know, if you say you've given up smoking or you're, or you're you know, you, you wouldn't sit there on a bench with a crack pipe, would you? So what is the, it's crazy. I know, exactly. You know, you, you wouldn't, you know, you don't give a heroin addict heroin. You don't. No. Because they're going to die. They're going to die if you yeah. do that. I know. It's the only drug you have to justify not taking. And it, we have to change that narrative, you know. And we're trying. I mean, I'm working alongside Alcohol Change UK. We're doing a um, Stop Sober Shaming campaign super but i've done it myself you know and i think most of us have like oh my god you're boring i was in a a pub a few years ago and there's someone in there bloke with a cup of tea yeah why are you yeah what are you doing mate (laughs) what have you come to a pub for because he wants to yeah he wants to enjoy the company and this is what people yeah don't remind themselves of you then not not for the bougie there for the company yeah the people amazing time and you can remember everything about it go on you're in bed by nine lovely yeah get up in the morning fresh as a daisy wonderful now here's one for you dave right be honest with me now right so let's say you go out with all all your your male friends tomorrow night right and one of them does something unforgivable then he rings you or texts you and says did i do summer do you tell them or do you go i don't remember mate do you do you push push under the carpet are you are you a oh my god they did that or do you do you tell them probably tell them <laughs> yeah 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 see that's one thing i really struggled with like because yeah. they, they yeah my friends would go what did i do well you were there you were sober the worst thing is is when there's been an argument and you know the truth and also you know who triggered who was the trigger and that person going it wasn't me it wasn't me and it's like oh god i know it was you it was you yeah. and i don't want to sort of set the firework off because I do remember, yeah, and I did, and I did see it, and I, I still struggle with that now. When you know the truth, if it helps the situation, yeah, if if it's it doesn't, there's no point, is there? Really? Back away. This it's like living a whole new life, isn't it? That's what I feel like, but a yeah. life that I'm, and I'm not talking about money in the bank here, Dave. It's and I swear on my beloved mum's ashes, it's the richest life I could ever want to ever ever want to live. And I don't ever want to go back to that person. And I won't. Oh, do you know what? I feel exactly the same. I've taken the blinkers off. Yeah. And yeah, I yeah. see a completely whole new view of life now. And yeah, yeah. I'm getting that from you. And Lisa, I'm so grateful that you joined me today. Oh, you're a dream. Uh, I could literally chat with you for hours. I love it. Yeah. That's how I feel. And this oh. is the first time we've spoken, isn't it? So yeah, I know. I'm truly grateful that you've joined. And, and your message of positivity is so apparent. And uh, I hope this helps people as well if they're struggling. You know, I often say it, it's not the quantity. It could be two glasses a day if that yeah. affects your life then um you've got just look at it maybe and see if you can change it you know 
and don't yeah. be in denial. That's a good yeah, thing. Exactly. And don't I'm... tell people, you know, if you are trying to back off, please don't say to people, oh, I, I, well, I only had two and two waters, two and two waters. If you had four, just say you had four. <laughs> really own it. Just yeah. for, for God's sake, own it. Yeah. yeah. And it's okay. It is okay. It's yeah. absolutely okay. And once you own it in yourself, that's when the work can begin. That's what yeah. I'd say. Thank you so much, darling. Love Thank you, you sweetheart. I hope we we'll talk soon. Mwah. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. One for the Road can be found on all the usual podcast platforms. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you have a moment, then please do leave a review so that more listeners can enjoy the conversation. You can find me on Instagram at SoberDave or drop me an email at info at davidwilsoncoaching.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, have a great week and take care. Oh, <laughs>